I want you to go all the way to the beginning of the Bible. You know where it says Holy Bible and then they put your name? If you get though, you're going too far. Amen. Go with me over to Genesis chapter 1. We'll spend just a couple moments over here in Genesis. Let me thank God the Word has been preserved for you and me. Amen. That's right. In uh, Genesis 1 verse 26, Then God said, and who's talking here? God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the, sea, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Um, for those of you who've had people, you know, uh, try to question the reality of the, the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, you see right out of the starting gate an inference to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Genesis tells us that the Spirit of God was hovering over the deep, um, basically inactive until the Word of God went forth out of the Father's mouth. Uh, Jesus, we know, according to John, was there when? In the beginning. And so uh, it doesn't take you very much, uh, you know, of course you have to know the contents of the Word of God to understand the, the concept of the Trinity. Um, and it's not, uh, you know, three gods independent. It's God the Father, God the Son. God the Holy Spirit, one in mind, one in terms of essence and authority and power. And uh, it's important you understand who's talking here in Genesis 1. Let me ask you again, who is talking? God, God is. So how many think what God says matters? Yep. And how many think what God says at the, at the instant the earth is created at the beginning of mankind matters? Yes. Absolutely. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. He didn't make any its, Amen. and he didn't make any mistakes. And to suggest that somehow he did is blasphemy. There's blasphemy against God. There's blasphemy against the Son of God. There's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And you know that uh, from being taught that there is no recovery from that spiritually from blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Um, but just because you can be forgiven for blaspheming God doesn't mean you should do it or try it. And every day in this nation, God is being blasphemed. But that doesn't change anything. Listen carefully. Blaspheming what God says or blaspheming His character doesn't change the truth when I owe it. He goes on to say this, And God blessed them and said to them. So notice that the blessing is conferred by the words. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living creature, um, that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. And, uh, you know, you can see a pattern here that uh, the dominion and authority is given to man. But this happens because of the release of what I call Genesis gifts into man. And God gave us, of course, His suke or His life. Aren't you glad He breathed life into you? Uh, every baby born, including the latest edition, Arthur Andrew, amen. amen. Uh, God created him. And the breath that he has came from God, not from man, not from his parents, not from Pop Pop. <laughs> it came from the father of all life. Amen. 
because he is, of course, the, the author of life. He gave us life. The Bible says he gave us his image. Everybody say image. image. We're literally made in his image, which means we are principally spirit beings. He crafted a body, and of course, man operated in a body, and you have a body tonight, but understand that you're made in his image, which has a lot of implications, including the fact that you were made from the beginning eternal. Say, so, I am an eternal being. Once that child enters into this earth, God gives that, that child an earth suit, and they come into this planet, they are eternal. Yes. It's hard for people to grasp that there is a heaven and there is a hell. The hell was not created for man. It was created for those that follow the devil and his ilk, of course. But you have to understand that man cannot be destroyed once created. You cannot destroy a spirit being. Say it with me. You cannot Destroy, destroy a spirit being. A spirit being. You can lock them up, though. And that's what happens in the end times. It's not a, about God is a big ogre and he's so unloving, so unkind. I, I don't know about you, but if uh, you and I express faith and confidence in God, we accept his, his, his redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. We accept the high price that was paid and we go to heaven. We shouldn't have to be putting up with hell on the next block. Are you here tonight? Heaven should be heaven to the redeemed. In other words, we don't need all that nonsense where we're going, and you're not going to have all that nonsense where you're going. Amen. And people sometimes will say jokingly, well, I've had my hell on earth. No, you, have, you don't have a comprehension of what hell is actually like. Scriptures tell us, but um, unless you've been there, amen, and it's true of heaven. Unless you've been there and seen the Lord, you really can't grasp it, how wonderful it is. And if you've not been to hell, you can't grasp how horrible it is. So say it with me. He gave us his life. He gave us his image. Scripture says he gave us his dominion or his authority. Um, we're not called to be ruled over. Romans tells us that we're supposed to rule in this life. We're kings and priests together with him. And the dominion is there over created things. Uh, you know, Leslie Hale, years ago, when um, uh, I first heard him talk about this, he's a pastor and evangelist originally from Ireland, uh, also a man of God. And occasionally you can catch him on satellite channels, you know, different places. He's a wonderful teacher of the Word. He was talking about the fact that um, when he was at uh, Orlando years and years ago, there's a place called Circus World. And he said he noticed that there were three or four lions in this pen with one tamer who had a chair and a whip. And he said, by sheer strength and force, shouldn't it be four men jumping through hoops and one lion holding the chair? But that's not the way it is. God gave you dominion. Amen. Say it with me. I have dominion. I have, I have his life. I have, I have his image. And then you also have been given seed. And so from the very beginning, you see that these concepts of the life of God, the image of God, the dominion of God, and the seed of God are given to us to actually perpetrate His will and His plan in this earth. And to the extent that you have revelation on these things, um, you know, you can craft a life that is in keeping with His will for you. Now, the thing I want you to understand tonight, everything I just told you, just read to you, is what we call the law of first words. Now, other scripture may amplify the law of first words, but if you think that other scripture contradicts the law of first words, your, your understanding is incorrect. Amen. You're misinterpreting scripture. What, in other words, when you see something in scripture for the first time, you're looking at God's unfiltered will. That's right. 
Period. If he wanted them male and female, law's first word says, guess what? They're male and female, and feelings and perceptions and societal structures and constructs and pressures have nothing to do with that. The law of first word says what? A lot of preachers should go back to school and take Genesis all over again. It's the law of what? First words. And Genesis is filled, of course, with first words. And once they're uttered, they're not going to be retracted. Amen. Whether it's a promise or a command or a redirection or something that informs us about our nature, whatever the case may be, the law of first words stands. Now, what you see here, it says, And God said to them, God blessed them and said. And what God did is He blessed you with life. He blessed you with His image. He blessed you with seed. He blessed you with dominion. Say that with me, blessed. Blessed. God's original will design for every human being is that they would be blessed. Amen. How do we know that? The first thing out of the gate, the first thing God does is he blesses his creation. This concept of being blessed and a blessing, it's not man created. It's not church created. It certainly isn't Western Christianity created. Because a lot of people in the Western church have no clue what this means. They don't understand this. And I'm going to say this to you again. Just because someone does not have revelation about something doesn't mean that you should walk away from it. Amen. Or you should be denied from it. That's right. It's very, very real. And in a lot of ways, you can, you can look at the Word of God and the story of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, and you can say, really, it's the gospel of the blessing. A lot of people stop with, my sin's been forgiven, end of story. That was God's intent. God's intent was not just to deal with the sin, but with what sin stripped you of. And what sin stripped you of was the blessing of God. Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28 tells us that the blessing was given. Um, there was nothing except the best that God had to offer until sin came into the situation. And the blessing was intact up until there was disobedience of man regarding the will and the word of God. And we see this in the day that you eat this. What did God say? You shall surely die. And then he follows it up with a pronouncement of a curse in Genesis 3. The serpent's going to do what? He's going to crawl around on his belly. Uh, he's talking about Eve. Is childbirth pain going to increase or decrease? It's going to increase. We don't know what it would have been like without the curse because, listen to me, no one was ever born on this planet outside of the curse. No one. Adam and Eve were what? Created. First generation. Adam created. Amen. Eve got a spare rib. Created. Amen. If you ever see an artist uh, that shows Adam with a belly button, don't look at that artist anymore. <laughs> so every single birth that's taken place on this planet at, at that time came under the curse. And regarding Adam, instead of being blessed in the work of his hands, now what was going to happen? With toil, with sorrow, he was now going to have to farm what was supposed to be very easy and sweatless. There was a consequence to this. But ultimately, you should write this down. To understand the blessing, 
and the story of the Word of God and why this is so important, you have to understand what happened. So in Genesis 1, we have the blessing. In Genesis chapter 2, God shows the people what's going to happen if you, if you actually you know, partake of this. You're going to die. The curse is going to be introduced in chapter 3. The blessing is now compromised and the curse is now in the earth. And even now today, you, you think about tornadoes and you think about hurricanes and tsunamis and you think about volcanoes. These are not acts of God. None of them. Uh, how can I recognize an act of God? Trust me, if you ever see an act of God, you'll know it's an act of God. And it won't be piecemeal. Uh, I hope you're not around to see this, but when a two million, two hundred million man army gets taken out by the Lord, yep. that's when you'll see the hand of God. That's it. Does that make sense? Yes. Aren't you glad you're on the right side of this? Yes. I mean, you know, it's a stupid person to take up arms against Jesus Christ. That's a stupid person. But guess what? They'll do it. <laughs> they'll do it. They've been fighting against his people all this time, and they'll try it. But the blessing of God was compromised, and write this down, it was compromised because of sin. That was not God's idea to compromise the blessing. It was man's doing to compromise the blessing. And the curse is threefold. I'm not going to get on to the scriptures tonight because I want to lay this foundation for you. But if you'll just at least turn over to Deuteronomy 28, you begin to see, and I encourage you to read the entire chapter, because what it does is it lays out for you what will happen if you hearken diligently unto the Lord's voice. God's voice and His Word are one. Say it with me, they are one. And I, uh, you know, I realize there's a lot to read there. I'm going to summarize it here for you in just a moment. Chapter 28, verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations on earth, and all these blessings will come upon you and will accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. King James says, hearken. Uh, if you've not had this teaching, you should write this down or write it on the tablet of your heart. You know, hearken means to hear with an aggressive attitude to do the things that you just heard. So you're not hearkening when you just you know, sloppily go through a church service. You're not paying attention. And you don't care if you receive anything. And you never hear and walk out of here to do. I'll tell you who, gets, who walks in the fullness of the blessing is a Christian who hears something and walks out the door and does it. Yeah. Whatever it is. If God is dealing with you about something, you don't put him off. You know, if he's correcting you about something, you say, thank God I can still hear his correction. Come on, say that right now. Thank God I can still hear when he corrects me. Your man can correct you from limited knowledge, but God corrects you from perfect knowledge. He's the only one that knows your heart for sure. So when he speaks to you in a service, in a, in a worship setting, you know, when you're in your devotions, it's something you should actually hear with an attitude to go out and do. And how many know he knows whether we have a hearkening type of an attitude or not? Versus uh, that doesn't apply to me. If, if Barb's under conviction tonight, Barb says, well, that's for her. That's for Ruthie. That's not for me. No, that's the wrong mindset. If God's talking to you, don't relegate it to somebody else. They sure, I sure wish so-and-so was here. That is the badge that you need to apply what you just heard. When you start bringing up so-and-so, that deflection means something's going on in your own heart. You know, when you're under, under real conviction, 
right? You, you're not going to point out everybody else's flaws. You're going to deal with what God is talking to you about. You see this? The other thing that's important about this scripture is it says these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. When you're right with God, you don't have to pursue anything except God. Everything else will pursue you. You'll be like uh, Buford T. Justice and Smokey and the Bandit. He's in hot pursuit. You pursue God and the blessings will what? Pursue you. Now that's healthy Christianity. Pursuing the stuff and leaving God out is unhealthy. That's not what Scripture teaches. And if you hear somebody say, well, you people that teach on the blessing and stuff like that, that's what you're saying. No, they're not listening to the actual teaching. You cannot get a full understanding of the teaching of the blessing in a 20-second snippet. You must hear the context, amen, and understand what the Word says. So blessing bestowed, blessing lost because of the curse. And what that does is it, it, it shows you in Deuteronomy 28, and then you go back to verse 15, it tells you not the good things that will come on you, but the bad things that will come on you if you don't obey. Um, and since we're incapable of fully obeying the law, how many understand that applies to all of us? We're going to need something more than just our sheer will to walk in the fullness of the blessing of God. You see this? So write this down. There are three general categories of the curse that came. And it's very, very real. You can't see the curse. You can't touch the curse. You can't smell the curse. But the reality is it's manifesting all over the earth. In fact, except for those that have been born again, it's manifesting in and through every other human being. Right now, it's where? It's also in the earth. That's why we don't call things an act of God when they're the result of the curse. And the curse is a result of sin, and God did not cause man to sin. So who's the author of the curse? Ultimately, man, because he opened up the door. Who's the author of the destruction that came from the curse? So if the devil entices you to sin, who's really behind everything? Now, there's going to come a day when that blessing will also hit the earth itself. Amen. No more strange weather patterns. I hate to disappoint folks out there, but it's not global warming. It's human sin. But it's so much easier just to blame this on emissions and on cow farts instead of taking blaming on a cow. Instead of looking in the mirror and say, I'm to blame for this. Let's blame the cow. Let's blame the cars. Let's blame everything but the people that are actually responsible for this. Don't hold your breath on the United Nations saying it's, it's actually human sin that's causing all this problem. All of it. Poverty. War. Amen. Issues in the weather. You name the problem, it goes back to what? To sin, because when sin came, it opened up the door to the curse. Number one, cur- the curse involves spiritual death. Say it with me, spiritual death. That's comprised of several components. One is separation from God. And that is not temporary until somebody gets right with God. That is an eternal separation from Him. Number two is physical death. God never created us to be people that died. That was a result of sin and the curse. Um, and we're talking about physical death here. Spiritual death is separation from, from God. 
Spiritual death, and write this down, is not ceasing to exist. We already told you, you'll never cease to exist. The only question is, where will you go? How many like to go to heaven? Amen. Maybe yes. not <laughs> Maybe not tonight, but how many like to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever? Um, you cannot cease to exist. So it's physical death, but it is also, you know, this concept of the second death, which is the lake of fire. And somebody says there's no such thing as a lake of fire, there's no such thing as a hell, there's no such thing as eternal you know, punishment. Uh, well, that's all done to appease minds, especially guilty minds and hearts, but that doesn't change the fact. Yeah. If John 3.16 is true, how do you believe it is? Yes. How do you believe it is? Yes. How do you believe Genesis 1, 26 through 28 is true? Yes. But then so is the teaching about hell. Amen. And we need to be aware of that. So, in Genesis 1, they're blessed. In Genesis 3, the curse comes. And the question is, what would God do about this? Aren't you glad He immediately put a plan in action in verse 15 to say there's going to be a confrontation between the serpent, amen, and the seed of man? And Jesus ultimately would be victorious. And He proved that by, by rising from the dead. Come on, say He is risen. Yeah. Did you know that you can say He is risen other times than Easter Sunday? Yes. Are you aware of that? You, you can celebrate His resurrection other times besides just Easter. Say it with me. He is risen. He is. Risen. He is. He's alive. Glory to God. So go back over to Galatians 3. And in your mind, you always want to link Genesis 3.15 with Galatians 3. When you're there, say, I am there. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. He redeemed us. Redeemed us from what? The curse. The curse. You see here, he's not just dealing with the sin. He is dealing with what the sin caused. He redeemed us in order that the purpose of the redemption, the reason for the redemption is not just to get your sins forgiven, but to get back what sin took from us. He redeemed us for the purpose of reason being that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. If all you think about, and this is not something we haven't talked about before, but if all you think about when you think about Easter is my sins forgiven, I'm going to heaven, you need to go a step further and begin to tell yourself, I've been redeemed from the curse the blessing has now been restored. It's not just you've been redeemed from the curse in order that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles by faith. Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Raise your hand if you're not sure. <laughs> We're talking about the ability for everyone through faith in Christ to have the blessing in their life. Blessing lost, Genesis 1. Uh, there's the one blessing in the issue, blessing lost, Genesis 3, the death, 
burial, resurrection of Christ, ascension of Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, the blessing restored. Now, how many enjoy being a spirit-filled believer? And how many of you, if you aren't walking in the fullness, you, you know it's real and you can't wait for God to do everything He wants to do in your life? Amen. Amen. How many say you're born again? Yes. How many say you received the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Yes. And you're not ashamed to be a tongue talker, you're not ashamed of the gifts of the Spirit. How many still believe the ministry of the Holy Ghost is present? Yes. Amen. Isn't it important? Yes. It's going to become more and more important as you go through these days that we're in to be able to discern and tap into knowledge that man doesn't have, to know what to do, to how to respond, what to say. It's all real. So here's what I'm going to say to you. Um, if you've not received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, there are a lot of us here that will be perfectly happy to talk to you and pray for you. God's no respecter of persons. What is the baptism? It is the immersion of the believer, notice I said a believer, in the person of the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues, but that's not the only evidence. Evidence of peace, evidence of hunger for God, evidence of eyes that are open to evil, eyes open to discernment. You know, evidence is where you have a passion for God. You care about souls. You want to serve. It's a transforming work. It's not salvation. It's subsequent to salvation. But it's an experience that God promised to send through the mouth of His Son, Jesus Christ. He told them to wait in Jerusalem until He'll be endued with power from on high. Acts chapter 1. And guess what? They gathered. Yeah, they did. But only 120 of the 500 that saw Him alive. Do you realize, the history records, that 500 people saw a resurrected Jesus? And he said, wait. And they did. And the Spirit of God was poured out so they can also live this life and then be what? Witnesses for him. Powerful witnesses for him. It's all very, very real. But you will see that the blessing is tied to the presence and manifestation of the Holy Ghost in your life. Now, I said, let's say this. Uh, if you're born again, say, I'm born again. Uh, you say, Pastor, can somebody wander in in a service on Wednesday night and not be born again? It can happen. It's rare. But most people that wander into a church on Wednesday night in America right now, they're there because they know why they're there. <laughs> now, wander in on a Sunday morning? Yes. Typically on Wednesday night, I could probably agree that almost everybody here is. If you're not, repent and give your life to Christ tonight. Amen. No problem. He'll, he'll receive you. And out of those that are born again, if you are Spirit-filled tonight, not the Spirit coming in you at salvation, but you've been immersed in the person of the Holy Spirit, you have already enjoyed what it means to have the blessing in your life. Yes. yes. Amen. That's right. You should be happy about that. Yes. And uh, there's no, there's no you know, respect of persons here. This is not for the Charismatics and the Pentecostals. This is not for word people. This is not for just the Presbyterians or the Lutherans or the Catholics or the Baptists, whoever. This is for any whosoever will. All that come to Christ can have this. But my point is, you've already got the evidence of the blessing in your life. How many of you thank God for the ability to pray in a language you never learned? You know, sometimes you just don't know how to pray. And sometimes you shouldn't pray in English. Because sometimes your mouth is filled with doubt, fear, and unbelief, and questioning instead of what? Confidence and faith. And everything you pray in tongues lines up with the Word of God. Let me say it like this. When you pray in tongues, you're always praying in faith. Always. Well, I don't feel like it. I didn't ask you how you felt. Faith has nothing to do with how you feel. Nothing. Say so it would be every time I pray in tongues, I pray 
consistent with the word of God. Every word comes to pass. Amen. And I pray in faith. That's just not the case because sometimes our English prayers are not in faith. They don't line up with the word of God. And Shazam, they don't always come to pass. They're not his fault. It's partly uh, what it means to ask amiss. You know, what I want to just impart to you and uh, just encourage you is if you, if you have this, you have this garment on you, it's already in you and upon you, why not take everything it was designed to bring in your life? Take it all. Receive it all. In other words, if you were redeemed, um, you know, from the curse, then enjoy it all. So the curse involves spiritual death. Say spiritual death. Spiritual That's death. separation from God. Separation from God. Amen. It is, in fact, physical death. And it is, of course, the second death. The second aspect of the curse was sickness and disease. There was no sick, you know, in the earth until sin came into the world. Don't ever blame sickness and disease on God. And don't let yourself hear yourself say these words. God put this on somebody to teach them a lesson. He's not the progenitor of the curse. He is not the one that caused the sin. He's not the one that introduced the destruction. He is not the one that compromised the glorification of his people. Sin did all of that. So if there is an aspect of the curse called sickness and disease, then there is an aspect of the blessing called healing and divine health. Amen. Say it with me. He's a healer. He's a, healer. He's a restorer. Uh, the night I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, I was sick for a good two years. I mean, lung, lung infection after lung infection. The problem was I was an athlete, you know, working out four or five days, you know, hours a day and at, at the top of my game. And this thing just actually, you know, took me out. But I'm going to tell you what I've been battled with for two years was gone the night I was baptized in the Holy Ghost. And, and be honest with you that, that physicians actually can, there are tests that can trace those markers in the bloodstream. And guess what? It's not in my bloodstream. It's as if I never had it. Amen. Um, who, did, who does stuff like that? Why would he do that? I'll tell you what, because I received in, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit the blessing of God. And with it came divine healing. Now, I challenge believers on this when they hear words like divine hell. Oh, that's, that's, just, that's just extra biblical. No, in fact, most of you have spent most of your lives in health. Yes, that's true. We just never stopped to thank God for it. Right. We took it for granted. When something happened, now we recognize there's a physical battle. And there are people who have had things all their lives, and I'm not decrying that, and I'm certainly not trying to put anybody down or, or question faith. That's not the point. The point is we should begin to expect that God's going to move in us physically. Yes. I mean, one of the first messages I ever preached when I first came here to pastor, it was Christmas Day. It snowed four inches. We were packed out that day. And I just preached a simple message on, on what Jesus did. He went around teaching, preaching, and healing. And I'm telling you what, one person got so mad at me, I thought they were going to foam with the mouth. And uh, Dr. Folsom, who taught history at this university for years and years and years, he just sent me a note because he happened to be in that service. He said, he said, keep preaching the uncompromised word on healing. He said, that church needs it. <laughs> and you know what? We still need it. 
Come on, say it. We still need it. We still need it. We don't need to be told that God is our problem. We don't need to be telling people there's no hope and there's a bad report. There's always hope in Him. And where the curse is sickness and disease, the blessing is wholeness and soundness, divine healing and health. And when you find yourself battling something, that's not the time to come down on yourself or condemn or compare yourself. It's go back to the Word of God and say, you know what? Bless God. I am saved. I am sanctified. I am baptized in the Holy Ghost. And bless God, I'm going to take the rest of the package as well in Jesus' name. I've been redeemed from the curse. Say it. I've been redeemed from the curse, which includes sickness and disease. Um, say, well, you know, people believe that, whatever. In, in the Assemblies of God, for example, it's a cardinal doctrine. There are four of them. Salvation of man, baptism in the Holy Spirit, divine healing, and the second coming of Christ. But you'd be amazed, even in the realm of mainline Pentecostals, how many people stop preaching on healing. Actually, it doesn't matter. It does matter. Before Oral Roberts went home to be with the Lord, he said the Lord told him that healing's coming back to the body of Christ. And here's how he put it, big time. Come on, say big time. Now, for a man that had hundreds of thousands of people healed in his ministry, when he said big time, the implication is more than he ever saw, more than the earth has ever seen before. Say it with me, it's part of my redemption. I mean, how many understand that the, the shed blood is a high price to pay for you and for me? God came down. God came down. His son died for you. And then say, all I want to do is get saved one day and go to heaven and leave everything else he did for you on the table? No. My point is, if you're saved and you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, just go ahead and take the rest of it too. Does that make sense? And one of the things we've got to, we've got to re-up in, in terms of our response to things, when you get a bad report, when you're dealing with something, you've got to get back into a mode of resistance. Mm-hmm. That's right. You don't feel like getting up. You don't feel like talking to people. You don't feel like serving. You don't feel like going to church. You don't feel like going to work. Since when is sickness your Lord? Since when did Jesus step off the throne and make sickness and disease the one to call the shots in your life? Keith Moore said it best. He said the problem of the body of Christ today is you have people that are yielding to things they should be resisting and resisting things they should be yielding to. You shouldn't be resisting the teaching of the blessing, but you should be resisting, amen, the curse. Yes. Yes. Have you aren't perfect? Raise your hand. A couple of you are. <laughs> But how many at least at this point in your life, you know when temptation is coming and you, you at least resist sin? Or you just say, come on in, and you totally yield to it. I hope you're what? At least resisting. Even if you fail from time to time, have you know, at least what? You're resisting. You're resisting towards sickness and disease should be at least that of resisting sin. And the scripture says you've not yet resisted sin to the point of what? Blood. If you haven't shed blood over resisting sin, you're not resisting enough. If you're not careful, the devil lulls you to sleep in the area of resisting. Yet the Bible says, resist the devil, and he'll do what? He'll flee from you. But in front of that verse in James 4, 7 is, submit yourselves 
to God, come under his authority, do what he tells you to do. Now you're in position to resist. And I'm just simply saying to you, um, you know, you're, you're redeemed spiritually. And you're on your way to heaven, aren't you glad for that? Yeah, your physical body will die if you live here long enough. But guess what? You're going to get a new one. Amen. One that can't die. One that's eternal. Amen. A different kind of flesh. You'll never be separated from God ever. How I many enjoy communion with the Lord? You enjoy His presence? You'll always have that. Can I tell you that again? You'll always have His presence. Not just here for all eternity. And not only will you have His presence, listen, the Holy Ghost is never going to leave you. Ever. Amen. And that said, uh, so He's going to write all this in the end. But in the meantime, tap into when you are battling something physically. Don't yield to it. Some of you just need to open up your mouth and talk back to it. It's telling you what you can't do, what you shouldn't do, you know, and here's the word of God on something. Here's God's plain will for your life. And it's telling you don't do this and you can't do this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Amen. Here's a word for somebody in this room tonight. You know, as you're, as you're resisting and you put your foot down, you say, I'm going to do what I'm called to do anyway. You're going to feel the power of God come on you. That simple act of faith is going to be enough to release the virtue of God into your body and you will be healed in your resisting. Say that with me. I will be healed in my resisting. Anybody can just lay down. Don't give him that satisfaction. Does that make sense? The curse of spiritual death. It's also sickness and disease. It's also poverty and lack. If that's the curse, then the blessing restored means supply and abundance. Um, I'm here smart enough to know that when God opens up a good job opportunity for you, that was God, not you. That was pretty weak, so let me try that again. Uh, it's the blessing of God, not how great we are. Uh, some of you got, had jobs open to you that you really weren't maybe the best or the most qualified, whatever, but the favor of God was on you. And the favor of God's opportunities and open doors, the blessing is actually the power to actually succeed wherever He puts you in. So uh, we should be resisting sin because guess what? We're no longer spiritually dead. Do you know that a spiritually dead person can't resist sin? There's no way for somebody who's not saved to resist sin. They're going to yield every single time. When you're born again, now you have the power of things like righteousness pushing you towards living a holy life. When you see sickness and disease, the curse trying to manifest in your life, go back in your mind to the law of first words. He didn't bless me with sickness and disease. He blessed me with healing and restoration. And when you find yourself struggling in terms of this world's supply, realize that part of the curse, and if you read Deuteronomy 28, you'll see that it's spiritual, it's physical, it's, it's terms of the body, it's also in terms of the supply. It's also in terms of meeting the needs of people, you know, based on His Word for them. When you find yourself in that situation, you need to say, you know what, I am going to claim that aspect of the blessing as well. Right. Now, the crazy things going on in our world right now, you better get a revelation on this. Amen. Say, I'm blessed. I can't be cursed. I've been redeemed from the curse. Say, I'm supposed to be blessed. Say, I am blessed to be a blessing. 
See, the difference is we're not uh, running around. And see, you know, hear people that will counter this and say things like, well, you know, uh, that's just awful selfish for you to say that you're blessed and believe for the blessing. First of all, it wasn't our idea. Long before you were here, darling, Genesis 1 was here. You do not predate the law of first words. They were here before you. So the will of God for man was already established. It is not selfish for you to ask God to do what was his idea to do. It is selfish if it stops with you. You are blessed to be a blessing, Genesis 12. That's the whole point. And you cannot be blessed, you cannot be a blessing if you are not blessed. So here's the deal. You should be resisting sin. You should be resisting sin and sickness. Say it with me. I'm going to resist the things I should be resisting. I'm going to yield to the things I should be yielding to. Like what God's Word says about the blessing. Just lift your hand right now and say, I just yield to the blessing of God. It wasn't my idea, but I yield to it. I receive it. Amen. Um, Maybe you're one of these kind of people where you were saved, but for some time you resisted the Holy Ghost, maybe because you were taught against it or you had no knowledge of it. At that moment, you were resisting the blessing of God. We have people institutionally teaching people throughout the body of Christ to resist the very thing that Jesus told them to wait for and receive. Yield to it. It's a blessing. It's not a curse. It's a It's a blessing. So you resist the sin, you resist the sickness and disease, but you also resist lack, amen, and poverty. And when it's trying to manifest, you don't say, well, that's just the way life is. You know, some are supposed to be blessed and some are not supposed to be have, you don't have anything. That's not what his word says. Now, it's relative to who you are. And how do you know that God can determine real quickly whether he can trust you yes. at certain levels of increase? But relative to where you are, you should always be able to say, my God is the one that supplies, amen, amen. all of my needs, all of according to his what? His riches in Christ, and not apologize for it. Amen. I mean, why would I apologize? Yeah, he forgave me, but I, I feel bad about that, you know. He healed me, but I feel kind of bad about that. Well, he prospered me, but I feel kind of bad about that. You shouldn't feel bad about anything that wasn't your idea in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> it's all him. Amen. Like Jesse says, you know what? If you don't like the fact that I'm blessed, take it up with God. I didn't do it. That's right. <laughs> and if you think about it, I mean, you know that, that man didn't do what you're enjoying. Amen. You should be praising him and thanking him. But in the day that we're living in with, with the possibility of a disruption of our currency, of our financial structures, your confidence better be in another economy, in another system. You better learn to lay up your treasures in heaven. You better make sure you have an account going on in heaven. And how do you do that? With faith, with your words, with your giving. It is not a joke. It is not a ploy. It is not a gimmick for the church to turn you upside down and dangle you and empty your pockets. It is a safeguard for you and for me. I heard a wonderful you know, example of this where a man was trying to explain why it's such a big deal to be a you know, tither. And a tither is, is just a response to honor God and to thank Him and to bless Him because of what He has done. And it's a way to set you up for His continued provision and to see that blessing. I mean, the blessing on a tither is very, very real. Yes, 
What did God say? He would open up the windows of heaven. And there's no asterisk to say, except when there's inflationary processes going on. Except when the interest rates go up. No, it could care less, but the Bible does not reference any of that. The Bible is true, and you should believe what it says. Say it with me, the blessing of God is real. And it includes, you know, provision for your life. But he said, he said, how does the blessing work? He said, suppose you're going in to, to buy a set of uh, tires. And you found the tires, and uh, the technician goes in there to the rack of tires. They happen to have them in stock. And he goes, um, this person walking in happens to be a tither and a giver. And they go in there, and all of a sudden this technician, instead of getting a tire that has a defect in it that might blow out on the highway, for some reason he goes further down and picks a set of tires that don't have any defects in them. He said what happened at that moment was an angel nudged him forward. (laughs) Because there was an announcement that went on. When this person walked into the store, oh, here comes the tither, here comes the giver. Time to go in motion to protect them. It's not just windows of heaven. It's rebuking the devourer for your sake. And you say, I don't believe in angels. Well, you need to start reading the book. You know, when this sounds fantastical to you, you're like, oh, I can't possibly. They're real. In fact, they're probably sitting right behind you. Angels come to church. Yes. 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 Uh, they ride in the car with you. Yes. Praise uh, the Lord. Some like joy have an entire dispatchment. <laughs> Up and down, all around. Amen. After you had that last wreck, I told her, I said, you know what? Your, your angels are put in for a transfer. They're just, <laughs> they're just tired. <laughs> but now you know they're effective. Well, you know, this happened, this happened. What would have happened had you not had? You see, that's the correct way to think about things uh, in this life. And uh, there are a million applications of this, but you should say, you know what, I'm, I'm blessed. Somehow God's going to work this out. Amen. I, I had a blowout last summer going to the, the Believers Commission, and uh, normally I don't even leave until late. That day I left early, and it was Sunday afternoon. A lot of things were closed. And I'm on the telephone, you know, I pulled off and everything. I've got the tire ready to go. But, uh, um, you know, we're talking about those little bitty spares that uh, go like this as you're going down the highway and last about 40 miles. Well, you're out in the middle of everywhere, you know, know, really nowhere. Everything is more than 45 miles away. (laughs) And I'm just like, well, you know, um, I thank you, Lord, for 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 the knowledge, for the revelation of where to go. And there was one store open within, uh, you know, a 50, 100-mile radius, something like that, and it was a Firestone store who just happened to have the right tire. Amen. He just happened to have a a happy person there to serve. Yeah. I was like, praise the Lord, get the tire thing and move on my way. So that's just just natural life. You know what? When you are blessed of God, things happen like that all the time. Amen. Jerry Savelle was telling a story about one time he was in, uh, coming back from a meeting about 2 o'clock in the morning and he hit some kind of a rebarb or something like that and jumped up and punctured his gas tank and drained everything out. And he finally was able to pull off and he finds uh, you know, this, uh, this little sleepy you know, cafe and right next to this cafe there's a, there's a gas station and uh, the tenant happened to be there. And he said, look, I don't know if you can help me or not, but I have a hole in my gas tank and I have little kids here and I need to get them home. 
Um, you know, what can you do about that? And he said, well, you know what, I'll, I'll weld the tank and we'll fill you up and we'll get you going. He goes, if you want to just go over here in the diner and have something you know, to eat and I'll get with you and we'll get it taken care of. And so he did. And uh, he welded the, the tank, filled the tank up, and he was on his way. And he said, the next time I come back through here, I'm going to come back and I'm going to thank this guy. I'm going to bless him for what he has done in this emergency situation. Because that hour of the day, he sure didn't have to do that kind of a work. When he came back to the town, he found the diner, but he found the gas station next door. It looked like it hadn't been open in 50 years. And when he talked to the owners of the diner, that's exactly what they said. We haven't pumped gas there in decades. God supernaturally sent him a welding angel. Yes, he did. Amen. He said, I don't believe this. Well, I'm a believer, I do. Oh, yes, I do. Amen. Amen. You say, what does it happen? It happens to people that are what? Walking in the blessing. And I already told you, if you have the Holy Ghost, you already have it on you. You just need to start pressing in for every dimension of it. Expect the blessing when you travel. Expect the blessing when you rise. Expect the blessing when you lie down. Expect the blessing when you're in church. But don't just expect the blessing when you're in church. Expect it to manifest wherever you go. Say it with me. There are people in church resisting things they ought to be yielding to and yielding to things they ought to be resisting. But you know the spirit of life in Christ is on you now. You've been delivered from the law of sin and death. The curse is gone. The blessing is on you. Amen? Resist the curse and resist the curse trying to creep back into your life. Don't be passive about this. The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Amen? Did you know that that Christians may sin, but they don't have to sin? Oh, a lot of carnal Christians don't like this one. Because it means responsibility. Everything in you, you have the ability in God. You've been given His righteousness. You have the ability to resist when that temptation comes. Every time a Christian sins, now they do it by choice. Why? Because now the blessing is on you. Stop putting up with sin. Stop just yielding to sickness and disease. Stop yielding to poverty and lack. Take a stand. You know what? I am not going to be the devil's plaything here. And if you can find anybody in the Word of God, anybody in the church today where God is moving and the blessing is manifest, then you can see an example of that. But you are not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. Amen. That's right. He knows your name. Yes, He does. He knows you. He died for you. He redeemed you from the curse. He has restored the blessing to you. Say it like you mean, I'm blessed. I can't be cursed. I've been redeemed from the curse. The blessing is working in me now. It's working through me now. I am blessed spiritually, physically, materially. I am blessed in every way in Jesus' name. Amen. We see in Scripture how the blessing went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. We see it operating in Joseph's life. We see it operating in David and Solomon's life. We see it operating in Moses' life. And guess what? According to what Galatians 3 says, you and I have the same blessing that was on Abraham's life. Go through and study somehow 
uh, and see what that blessing did for that man of God. And yet you and I have a much better covenant than Abraham had. Watch this now, just to wrap this up for you. How many know we know more about God's provision for salvation than Genesis 3.15 teaches? But what we know doesn't contradict Genesis 3.15. How many know that there's some powerful things said about the blessing in Genesis 1? But there's more said about the blessing as we go through the scriptures that amplify that. Say it amplifies, it doesn't contradict. Whenever you think you're confused about something, go back to the first mention of that concept. And there, listen, there you will find God's will. It's God's will that His people be blessed. That's what the first law, amen, requires. Let's understand. It's, a, it's the law of first words, the first mention, and it's something that will help you time and time and time again. I don't care if it's about gender or the blessing, the origin of sin, God's foreshadowing what he would do in Christ through his relationship through Abraham and his son. Go back to what? I mean, we know a whole lot more about the sacrifice of Christ than the story of Abraham and Isaac tell. But guess what? What you're seeing in Jesus is what they were illustrating back then. Say it one more time. The law of first words. Sometimes you'll hear it called the law of first mention. If you have an interpretation of a scripture that contradicts the first mention of a subject, then your interpretation is incorrect. That's it. Is it okay to be humble and say, yeah, maybe I can miss it? Oh, no, Brother Art. Let me help you out. Oh, yes, you can. <laughs> say teachable, pliable, correctable. Shout out one more time. I'm blessed. I can't be cursed. I've been redeemed from the curse. I'm supposed to be blessed. Jesus redeemed me. I don't take light of that redemption. I am free in Jesus' name in every area of life, spiritually, physically, and materially. And you know, when you get to heaven one day, guess what? You'll be free as you can be. Spiritually, physically, and materially. Amen. It's a mystery to me why some Christians would choke over God wanting to provide for them financially. When you get to heaven, they're going to be walking around on gold. It's a total mystery. And, and trust me, asphalt's expensive. Yes, it is. It's not cheap. But could you imagine if it were made out of gold by the ounce? And yet somehow <coughs> God doesn't care about your financial needs. Really? No, um, he does, and he provides. How many have had testimonies in your own life? Yes. Does he do it? Yes. Yes. And if you're going to get an unbelief about something, just repent and come back to that knowledge that uh, what it says in Genesis is God's perfect will for me. Amen. How many can say you know there are times where God came through for you financially? You know, there's no other excuse, there's no other explanation for it. God did it. Amen. Well, if He did it once, He can do it again. And so I'm just telling you, in these days that we're in, be faithful, be diligent, resist lack, resist the devil attacking your finances. Don't just say, well, that's just the way it is, case sirrah, sirrah. No, Doris Day should not be your theologian. Nor should Forrest Gump. Life's a box, like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get.
Yeah, because you and I are the ones that fill the box. Selah. Amen. Some of you are the ones that open up the candy Christmas time, Valentine's Day, and you eat the good stuff. And you bite into the bad stuff and you put it back in the box. That's okay. It's a pretty good spiritual lesson. When you bite into something that's not biblical, don't make a big deal about it. Just put it back in the box and somebody else wants to eat that, that's their business. But as for you, you're going to eat the good stuff. Mm, and those nice caramels, hallelujah. <laughs> and then it's amazing, we learn that real young in life. I mean, mom and dad say, all right, you left the candy here, half bitten. <laughs> no. Praise God. Amen. So we're just going to, uh, you know, emphasize uh, just how important the, the connection is between your transformation and the blessing. It all started there. Amen. And I'm glad he didn't leave it undone. So if you're born again and you're spirit filled, it's on you right now. Look at somebody go, there's something on you. <laughs> and it's what? It's the blessing. Now watch this. Everybody has the same blessing, but they have not activated the blessing the same way in their lives. Not everybody believes the same thing in terms of what the blessing will do. Don't leave anything out that uh, he pays such a high price for you. Amen? Praise God. Let's give him a hand clap and thank him for it. Amen? Thank you, Lord.